in our study in 1 Samuel. But I want you to kind of think of a time, and really think if you've ever had a time where you knew that God clearly answered your prayer. And then to think about that and think of a time where he didn't answer your prayer as you desired, but you were able to see his blessing in not providing your request. I think for a lot of us, we've had those times where we have seen both when God answers prayer, and then we've also experienced when God hasn't answered prayer, and later on we've stepped back and gone, oh, that was a good thing you did. So think about that for a moment as you think about those questions, and ask yourself, kind of, how did you respond? Was it with momentary thankfulness? Was it with lasting humility? Was it with astonishing wonder? How did you respond when you saw God answer your prayer exactly as you requested, or, or answer your prayer in a different way, but still show himself to be true and faithful? What was your response? Well, this morning we're going to look at Hannah's response to God's blessing and trial in her life. Simply put, God and everything that He is is worthy to praise. So let's go ahead and stand this morning as we dive right into the scripture. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And this is what it says It says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derives my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for hire, for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down the shield and a right raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ashes to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces against them. He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And Elkanah went home to Ram, and the boy, Samuel, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. That's right. Lord, this morning, as we come before you in your word, Father, as we settle our hearts and we desire to hear from you this morning, Father, may we still ourselves before you. 
May you, God, show us and speak to us and reveal to us your word this morning. Father, may this not come from any clever use of scripture, but God, may it be exactly as you intended. Lord God, we pray that you would encounter us this morning. And we trust, God, because you said that your word will not return void, that you will. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. And we truly praise you as the Lord of all this morning. Teach us this morning. Lord, help us know you more. And we ask this in your name. God's unique character empowers believers to praise Him in response to blessings and trials alike with joyful anticipation of His future kingdom. God's unique character empowers believers to praise Him in response to blessings and trials alike with joyful anticipation of His future kingdom. God's character should produce within us praise. And that praise should bring about joy. The truth is that praise should be a part of our rejoicing in the work of God. Can you think of a time in your life where you've prayed and God's answered it in the affirmative and then taken it away? Now, this is kind of the situation that Hannah's in. Even though Hannah had agreed in 1 Samuel chapter 1 to, to pray and put her petition before God, God grants her this son and she says, God, I will give you my son completely. Hey, God, if you grant me this son, he's yours. I'm taking a vow that you will give him to me and that I will give him into your service the entirety of his life. Now we know from chapter 1 that it says that Hannah then when Samuel was born that she weaned him. Now I don't know about you guys, but I would probably at that point in my life begin making another deal with God. Which would be figuring out how best to go about keeping my child. But Hannah's confidence is not residing in herself. Hannah's confidence is not in the fact that whatever brings her the most pleasure according to her own will is going to be the most satisfying thing for her. But rather she trusts that God's way and God's will will be the most satisfying. It'll bring the most joy. It'll bring the most pleasure. But the truth is, is that in 1 Samuel 1, verses 27 through 28, Hannah says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him, or I have given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given or lent to the Lord. And it says that Samuel worshipped the Lord there. Now rather than becoming frustrated with God, 1 Samuel 2, 1, our passage this morning, tells us that Hannah prayed. And then listen to this. 
and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Now, real quickly, this horn, when she says that, she doesn't really have a head of horn that is growing out the front of her head. Right? What she's speaking about here is her strength. The horn was a picture, an image used in the Old Testament. It was to, to signify this confident strength. It was actually a picture of an ox's horn. And how strength was measured was the confidence of an ox moving forward with its horn. Here's what she's saying. It's not that God gave her strength. It's that God gave her confidence in the strength. There's a difference. There's a difference. Ever been amazed when you lean over and you go to lift something up and you're like, Oh, wow, I didn't realize I was going to be able to lift that. Right? And you lift it up and all you want to do is when you get there, go... I'm going to make sure I have the right grip on this. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to this. And you're kind of moving, and you're moving quickly because you know that at any minute, you can slip out of your hands and fall to the ground. That's not a confident strength. That's a strength that's existing, but it's not rooted in confidence. What she's saying is, God, you've given me a confidence strength, and that strength is found in you. She says here, my heart exalts in the Lord. I'm finding my, my praise in the Lord, my horn, my strength, my confident strength is exalted, is raised up in the Lord. This confident strength that's coming about is only becoming coming from the Lord. It, it, it actually is the basis for her response. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting that her response is one of rejoicing and not weeping. Because she is confident in what God is doing. She is confident that he is moving and he's working and that he is the source of her strength. And so it goes on. My mouth derides or speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. So here was this woman who earlier that we saw in chapter 1 last week was, was to the point where she couldn't even eat a meal because of the other wife that was beginning to, to basically mock her and provoke her because she couldn't have children. And now we have an entirely different picture. Before she was upset, she couldn't eat, she couldn't partake. And now she's seen God respond in prayer and work in her life. And now it's given her confidence to boldly speak against her enemies. This week, I was talking with uh, just some, some individuals, and we were talking about we were, uh, our family is just moving to another place in Windsor. And it's been interesting because one of the... we. we moved to this location not knowing that there were going to be a number of people on this street that we knew. Had no idea. And so we arrive on the street. There's one family on the street that before we, we knew this, that God had laid on my heart to be praying for this man and his wife. And so we excited to go, gosh, you know, Lord, you're placing us right in, in the midst of where this family is. Yesterday, as I'm working on my, my sermon yesterday evening, and I'm 
going through, all of a sudden I get this text from another guy. A guy that I've coached baseball with for a number of years. And we've gone and we've spent time and different times talking to the Lord. And there's a curiosity. But he texted me and said, hey, I hear you're moving on to our street. <laughs> okay. And then it struck me last night. Okay, God, you've put me in this place. Now what am I going to do? Because the truth is, my first reaction was, great, you're going to put me in this place. <coughs> but Lord, I was praying for him. I just was hoping that I wouldn't have to be the one that spoke to them. <laughs> right? Right? And the Lord was just impressing on my heart, listen, go before them confidently and boldly. Not with a, not with a, a barrel or a hammer and not even forcing my way in, but as the opportunity arises, as we develop and continue to develop relationship with one another, God, you place me there to be that voice. It has to be a confident strength, not just a strength. And we can praise God because of this confidence, right? And so it says, My mouth derives or speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's a confidence that Hannah has. She's been redeemed. She's been saved. Now, Hannah's witnessed the blessing of God's answer of prayer. And that witnessing of the blessing of the answer of prayer has given her confidence and joy in who God is. It actually reminds her of her salvation. There was a period of time, as D.R. Davis points out, in John Calvin's life, when he suffered the death of his wife. And the diaries tell of a letter that he wrote to a friend, William Farrell. This is what it says. May the Lord Jesus support me under this heavy affliction, which would certainly have overcome me had not he who raises up the prostrate, strengthens the weak, and refreshes the weary, stretched forth his hand from heaven to me. He goes on, and he looks at God's character. And John Calvin finds his strength in the character of God. is that Hannah saying similar things. She says, I was ready to fall, and God gave me strength. I was barren, and he made me fruitful. I was poor, and he made me rich. But the truth is, that's not really surprising. But that's the way that God is. You see, in that moment, when God responds to her, in that moment, when she understands the blessing, whether it's directly answering the prayer request that she's had, or it's coming around the other side going, praise God, thank you, you didn't give me what I was asking for. In that moment, Hannah knows God. It's an entirely different thing to know about God than to know God. To experience the personal, deep relationship with God. When you go through trials or health trials or situations, family situations, it's in the midst of those trials that God becomes deeply personal. Because you're abandoned to Him. 
that comes with it. There's a confidence that comes with it. And see, when we know God, we'll praise, or we'll joyfully praise God for who He is. That's just the truth. When we know God, we will praise God, giving us confidence in what He's done and will do. That will happen. When we know and experience God in our life, we will praise Him. Hannah had no other response but to praise Him. And because she's experiencing the very truth of God, she's praising. In the midst of that praise, gaining more and more confidence in what God has done and what God is going to do. This is not about some way of some self-help kind of thing where if I just think positively enough, I'll make it come about. We live in a culture where quantum physics has taken its place and rooted itself in, and people begin to believe that if I can only imagine it, it will come true. Scripture tells us that every good thing comes from above, comes from Him. Secret. One of the highest grossing books is a book that simply says that. That you can control your destiny by what you think and by what you envision. It, it neglects the very essence of who God is and it attempts to root itself in self rather than God. Why is it important? Because the truth is that apart from Christ, we have nothing to offer God. His scripture says that we are broken and fallen, and it says that his creation is in decay. But in Christ, we become a new creature. So in knowing God, the truth is that God is worthy to be praised with our confidence found in him for a few reasons. God desires us to praise Him with our confidence found in Him. When we're praising God, it's because we have found confidence in the truth of God. It's going to be difficult to praise God if we have not found our confidence in the truth of God. That's why thankfulness is a whole lot easier than praise. Because thankfulness is as good as the most recent experience that I've had with the Lord. Praise goes beyond that into who God is and is not based upon my experience with God in terms of how He has directly affected me, but it deals specifically who He is, His overarching character, and my trust around who He is and His overall character. It means that God is unchanging. So God is worthy to be praised our confidence found in Him because first, God has no equal. God has no equal. Verse 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. God has no equal. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, we often teach this, that there should be no other gods before me. The literal translation in Hebrew is there should be no other gods beside me. 
The point is that we are not to even have some other God residing next to us. Whatever that may be. That God could be all kinds of things. That God could be work. That God could be sports. That God could be video games. That God could be vanity. Anything that is receiving its same attention as God is placing a God right next to Anything that we're attempting to find value in or seek value from that only God can provide is a God that we're placing next to Him. And what the Scripture says here is that there is no God beside Him. We can praise God because God does not have an equal. God has no equal. Here's the good news. There is nothing that will satisfy like God. I was watching a recent clip by Will Smith. You guys know Will Smith, Fresh Prince? They asked him, he was talking about he and his wife and what they've learned about love. And here's what he said. The love of another person will never make you whole. The love of another person will never make you whole. You know why? Because it's only in Christ's love that we are made whole. We, we can't find our value and worth in others. It has to be found in God. And the reason is because God has no equal. Our value, our worth, our sense of belonging has to be found in God because He has no equal, because there is none like Him, because He is holy. Other people will not make us holy. Now God can work through others to help us remain accountable and to bring the word of God into our life and to challenge us and to speak the truth in love. But it's God can do words. Secondly, God sovereignly humbles and exalts man. God sovereignly humbles and exalts man. It says here in verse 3, Talk no more so very proudly, let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. Now what's amazing about that is Hannah's pointing out, listen, we don't get the freedom to come and boast about where we're at. God is sovereign over all those things. Our call is to be obedient. But He is the one sovereign. He is the one that humbles and exalts. You ever feel like you need to knock somebody down? <laughs> yeah. I need to take that attitude right out of them. Right? <laughs> the truth is, no matter how hard you try to do that, even when you're disciplining your own child, it's still the Lord. Our call is to be faithful to the things the Lord has given us, and then in that process, allow God to do that work in their life. 
You cannot argue somebody into humility. The very fact that you're trying to argue somebody into humility says that you're not walking in humility. God is the one that humbles and exalts. God is the one that shows mercy to so who he chooses and to judges those who he chooses. The point is that we can praise God with confidence because God is the one that humbles and exalts man. In his sovereignty, we see a few things. The first is that he's all knowing. He's all knowing. Verse 3 through 5 says, For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by whom actions are weighed. God's all knowing. He knows the hearts of man, he sees our desires, and he weighs it. And he says here, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Here's what he's saying In this life, it may look like the strong, the strong ones are winning. And what he's saying is, listen, I will humble them and I will exalt you in weakness as you submit your life to me. That's what he's saying. I will exalt you in weakness. It's another part of that culture that we, we live in, right? We talk about being strong men or women. It's a dangerous statement. Because seldom is a person saying, I'm a strong man or woman in Christ. It's usually a statement to say, you will not get one over on me, and I will not be taken advantage of. The truth is, is God wants us in a place where he is the source of our discernment. He is the source of our strength. And we can praise God because he is all-knowing. He searches the heart of man. He's the one dealing with the heart of man. Jeremiah 9, 23-24. I want to encourage you to write that down. Jeremiah 9, 23-24 says this. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boast, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, Justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. We boast in knowing God. We don't boast in ourselves. We boast in knowing God. The second thing that we see here in sovereignty is he's all powerful. As the Lord kills and brings to life, he makes poor and makes rich. He's the one knowing this. He's the one that's over all things. It's amazing here in verse 7. He says, The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. In verse 6, he says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down his shield and he raises up. This is the God that we serve. His mercy being poured out his power being demonstrated, that he is the giver of life. Here's the thing. Because he's the giver of life, I can confidently go where God has called me to go. God already has my days numbered. God already has your days numbered. 
And so when the Lord says go, we can confidently go. We can know that God already has a plan, and if that plan is to take me out of life, this life, today, then I can confidently go knowing that he has power over life and death, and he is the grantor of that life. And praise God, he is the grantor of that mercy. So that brings us to the next thing that we see in his sovereignty, and that's that he's merciful. It says he raises up the poor, he lifts up the needy to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. You can picture this for a moment. Hannah, this woman, who without having children would have been seen as being a cursed woman. She goes and she prays and she sees God answer this prayer as he brings Samuel into her life. <coughs> and when she's speaking and she's praising God and she says, listen Lord, you took the poor and you lifted the poor up. And you took the needy and you raised the needy up. And it's right in the midst of that. I was the poor and needy. You and I, apart from Christ, are the poor and needy. And here's what he says. He doesn't just raise them up off the ground and lift them up and simply put them on their feet. No, he goes beyond that and he says this. He says, to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Here's the thing. Hannah was just asked to be lifted up. She just wanted to stand up. She didn't want to be in that same state. And what God does is he lifts us up and then he elevates us further. That's his goodness. That's his mercy. In our lives, we need to be reminded that God is merciful. That his mere salvation was an act of mercy beyond far reaches of what we could have ever imagined or deserved. Titus 3 tells us this. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. And I just want to read it because I think it speaks to exactly this point. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. It wasn't that he saved us because of our goodness. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We might join Christ in his glory. See how God doesn't just stop? You see how if God simply gave us what we asked for, even when it seems like he actually is, that he's going far beyond what we could have ever imagined? He's still going. It's a God whose mercy is playing itself out every day in our life. 
So we see that God has no equal. And that he exalts or humbles and exalts men. And then finally, we see that God redeems the righteous and judges the world. He redeems the righteous and judges the world. It says here in verse 9 and 10, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. We can praise God because he redeems the righteous, meaning those who have repented and believed on Christ. And he will judge the world because he is a just God. God will deal with all that is wrong. God will deal with all that is wrong. For those who know Christ, this is a wonderfully hopeful, glorifying verse. For those who haven't made a decision to submit your life to Christ, this is a verse that should cause terror inside our hearts. Should, should stir us to think about the truth of Christ. It should stir us to think about the truth of God. Because apart from Christ, there is no salvation. There is no redemption. Revelation 19.11 says this, It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is happening. There will come a day when God will come, when Christ will return, he will send his Son to rule over the nations, and in his ruling over the nations, he will bring judgment upon those who have refused his grace those who have rebelled against him. Why? Because God is just and there is a just penalty for sin. And the wage of that sin is death. Notice here. Jesus has been exalted. It says right here, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Here's what's happening. In that one moment, as Hannah is praying, she sees God giving her a confident strength through the birth of Samuel that she can go forward and move boldly in her salvation. But now it's being worked out even differently. Not only is it giving her a boldness and confidence to work out her salvation, but it's also giving her boldness and confidence in trusting in the promises of God. See, when we know God, when God, we've encountered God, and we've experienced His presence within our life, we will go before Him with confidence. And we will praise Him as a result. truth is that Jesus was given a name above all names. He was exalted above all things. Ephesians 2, 
tells us this. It tells us what Jesus did. And that this anointed king was going to come and save this nation of Israel and all mankind. In Ephesians 2, it says this, verses 1 through 6, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hannah understands that God not only exalts her in this life, but he exalts her with him. When we respond to Christ, when we repent and believe on him, God will exalt us. And in the end, he will right the wrong because he is just. And he will exalt those who have followed him. And we will be able to rest and live in the joy of his glory. Eternally. That is the truth. And that is the hope that we get to stand on. Lord God, may we praise you this morning for who you are. A God who has no equal. A God who humbles and exalts men. God who judges the world but redeems the righteous. Lord God, this morning as we go before our throne, may our hearts be one of praise and may we respond with praise when we see you at work. Lord God, when you bless us, when you answer prayer, when we see you at work and not answer prayer, may our response be one of praise. God, may we not grow in frustration. May we not become passive. May we not become apathetic. But when we encounter you, may we be immediately drawn to praise you and be strengthened in the knowledge of who you are. And we ask these things in your name.